chapter 15. We're going to be reading from John chapter 15 this morning. As we continue in our series in John. Which, by the way, let me just give you an update. Um, according to uh, my estimation, we will, we will make it through the longest series of sermons I have done on a single book in approximately three months. We'll be done with the Gospel of John. So um, my, uh, my professor in seminary said that the Gospels are very long introductions to the very good but very quick news about the death of Jesus. The Gospels kind of roll slowly as they begin and then they suddenly and shockingly sum up in the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And so that's kind of what's going to happen. We've had, we've had a long period of traveling through the Gospel of John getting to this point. We've spent weeks on the night before Jesus dies. And then uh, almost as, uh, as, as soon as it happens, Jesus uh, will, um, he, he will go to the cross, he'll be raised from the dead, and he will ascend and, and leave the church with their mission. Um, and, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to be there just, uh, just under three months. So um, I'm excited about that. It's good. It's good to complete something. Um, so, and, uh, and hey, I'm thinking next Old Testament, you know, uh, so, so put that in your crock pot and kind of let it stew Old Testament and say, you know, I don't know anything about this book or that book. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in hearing. Uh, and I've got a bunch of suggestions from folks already. But, but if you continue to, uh, to think about that, let me know. Uh, I would love to, uh, to consider uh, your opinion on the matter. Um, John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. Jesus is speaking. He's just delivered the secrets of the vine, as we, as we saw a few weeks ago. And now he says this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Indeed, sorry, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. Let's pray for God's blessing on our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, now, and we ask that you would open this word to our hearts. As Peter said, describing the writings of Paul, we say them describing your word. There are many things in them that are difficult, sometimes hard to understand. Lord, there are times when we encounter things that are difficult in your word because they're clear. And this is one such passage this morning when the things that we find in your word 
we look at them and sometimes we just say, no, that's not true. That's not me. But the truth is, Lord, that at the heart of the good news about the gospel, there is very bad news. And it's not the bad news that we need to be saved. It's the bad news that our position before you is that we and the whole world around us hate you and your son until you give us life. And Father, we pray that as we are confronted by the truth this morning, Father, we pray that we would adopt the right attitude towards ourselves, the right attitude toward you, the right attitude toward the world, and the right attitude towards the gospel. Father, we pray that we would see with clarity and that we would see it not through eyes that remain offended, but eyes that take the offense, Lord, a heart that receives the truth and then moves through the truth and then goes and lives in the right way. Father, we pray that we would not shy away from these truths, but we would embrace them and love them and live in them, Lord, as we hear them. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, as we were um, going through the secrets of the vine and, and learning all these truths about what God wants us to be like as we are connected to the, the true vine, the branches connected to the vine, we saw that God loves people, that God desires people to come to him and to know him and to abide in him and to view God as the very source of their life. And, and hearing this, that God says to his followers that they're to abide in him, that they can do nothing apart from him, that he no longer calls them servants, but that he calls them friends. Hearing this news, many of us, and I think the disciples react this way as well, I think many of us react, we hear the gospel and we think, this is so good, this is good, I'm a sinner, and that's not so good. But God gives me his righteousness, and that's so good, because he saves me. And hearing all this good news, we think, this is so good. Why don't more people believe this? I think that the disciples heard this news, and they were probably so energized after hearing all of these secrets in John 15, and they were probably like, let's go tell the whole world. And then Jesus tells them, okay, I got a, I got a bomb to drop on you here. Okay, I got, I, got some, I got some news that you're going to hear that's not going to excite you. You're excited about the good news, but there's bad news about the good news. And I think this morning as we approach the good news, we approach the gospel, many times we think, I believe this stuff in this word, I read this word, I devote myself to, to, to the Bible and to the truths of the scripture, and, I, and I'm absorbing it, and I'm hearing it, and I go to share it with people, and they're not interested. Now, what's up with that? Right? And, 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 I, and I hear this good news, and I, and, I, and I hear that there are places where, in the world where people who believe the gospel are being tortured and killed. And in some countries, parents have their children taken away and given to other families who will raise them in that nation's religion. And, and what's up with that? Because this is good news. This morning, I don't want to redefine the bad news about the good news in such a way that you'll not see the bad news as bad news, okay? But this is what I want to encourage you this morning. As we see this bad news, it is bad news. But if we look at it from God's perspective and we see the commands of the scripture, hopefully we will say, not that it's not bad, but that though there's bad news in the good news it's good news okay anyway that may sound like that's not possible you can't convince me of that but i i'm convinced of it and so i hope you will be too when we come to christ when we receive the gospel we change allegiance okay we are born into the world the scriptures say that we are born dead in sins and trespasses. That's Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 19 of this chapter, though. Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, telling them that they are not of 
the world. And then he says, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The book of Colossians says that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has rescued us from the domain of darkness. Think prison break, right? The, the Son of God breaks into the world, into the kingdom of darkness, and he transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. That's what God does. He rescues us from the domain of darkness and brings us into this kingdom. So when we come to Christ, we change allegiance. And so, since we have changed allegiance... We should not be surprised if those whose team we used to be on, the kingdom that we used to live in, if they no longer love us because we are traitors to the system, right? This is like, here comes the sports analogy, <laughs> right? You grow up in New Jersey and everyone there it seems to be either a fan of the Giants or the Jets or some other team that nobody's a fan of, and then they get made fun of. Now, if you move from New Jersey to Maryland, right, and you come down here into, what is this, Redskins territory, right? Ravens territory. Ooh. He said the wrong team, right? And I put on the Ravens jersey or the Redskins jersey, right? And I go back up into New Jersey, and I'm walking around, and I'm like, hey, they're going to be like, take that off, traitor. Do you know? This is the way it is with Christians. When we are rescued from the world and we say, no, I'm a Christian now. I've been changed by Christ. I don't live the way that I used to. We should not be surprised if the world says, how dare you? Look at verse 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Verse 20, Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It is a known truth that all, as Paul says, who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Because the world hates God. Let's answer this question. Who is the world. I had hoped by now to post on the blog a document that I'm working on uh, called Keith's Theology of the World as Seen Through the Eyes of John, but I've not gotten it done. It's about four pages long and it's a total mess. Um, at this point, it needs to be better organized, but by the time we're done talking about the world um, in, in, in the Gospel of John, it should be all perfectly ordered and up there on the blog and ready for your inspection and, and, uh, and, and questions and encouragement and criticism. But what I would like to do is to look at a couple verses from the Bible and talk about what the world is. Who is the world? Okay, John chapter 6, verse 33, describes the world in this way. Jesus says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and does what? Gives life to the world. By definition, the world, the people who live on this planet who are fallen, are dead apart from God. We have no life in us. This happens at the fall when Adam and Eve transgress the command of God. The spirit that's in them leaves and they become dead, enslaved to the spirit that's in the world. There is no life in the world. How can we say this? Look at John 14, 17, where Jesus says that the spirit of truth cannot be received by the world. The Holy Spirit cannot enter into the world. Why? They cannot receive him. Why? Because they're dead. They need to be given life. 1 John 5, 19, John says this, speaking to the church, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This world is a system of thinking that is possessed by all people in the world under the leadership of the evil one who's called the ruler of the world, or called Satan. All people in the world naturally resist God. They naturally hate God because God comes in with a claim over their life and desires to rule them. Now, we don't need to actively hate God in order to truly hate God. Okay? You may think, I don't hate God like I hate world hunger 
or like I hate speeding tickets, you know? Like, I don't, I don't hate God that way. I, I, you know what? I think I'm a good person. I love God. But just being indifferent to the commands of God because of his worthiness and his holiness is sufficient to qualify as hate. Does that make sense? God says, you shall love me with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And I think, that's good. And then I don't live that way. I don't love him with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. The infinite holy ruler of the universe is right to say, if you don't love me that way, you hate me. And that is the condition of the world. God created this world beautiful, but it has fallen under the power of the evil one. It was to exist for God's glory, but it exists in its present form, and it is our shame. I discovered about two or three weeks ago that you can go online at National Geographic. I will share with you if you are interested. You can go to National Geographic, and you can download all of the big images that they've got in their, in their magazines. Um, you know, the, the full-page spreads where you've got some really exotic-looking frog or a, a scene of a canyon or fog rolling in through, through mountains or you can see jewels and snails and all this really cool stuff. There's just one picture of an alligator baby coming out of an egg. And it, like, looks... At first, you think it's, like, real sinister. You know, it's like, whoa, what is that? But then you think, wow, that's cool. God put this creature in this egg, and he's coming out. There he is. I'll tell you, all the pictures of nature just so resonate with me. And, and over and over again, I say, God, you made that. You put that in the world. The world is so beautiful. Then there are all these pictures that they've taken of poverty and of slums. If you look at National Geographic, you know this, that there's these pictures, pictures of people with illnesses, pictures of, of battlefields. And I think... Everything that makes me cry out, the world is beautiful, comes from him. And everything that makes me cry out, the world has fallen and it's a wreck, comes from us. That's the world. The world is fallen and lifeless and needs God to save it. We are commanded as Christians not to love the world. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now let me, let me just clarify here. This does not mean that we don't love the people of the world who are under the sway and the power of the world system, but that we should not love the things of the world. The goods of the world. The attitudes of the world the defiance of God's commands that, that lives in the world. We ought not do that. Instead, we ought to love the Father more than we love the world. Why? 1 John 2.17 says this, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is in darkness. We thank God, though, that he doesn't leave the world in a fallen condition, but he sends a savior to save the world. First John, sorry, John 1, verses 9 through 10 say that the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Light enters into darkness to bring salvation. John Chapter 1, verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Light comes into darkness, and darkness looks at light and says, We don't like that. We don't understand it. We hate it. We shouldn't be surprised, then, when we take the message that the light brought into the world, and we bring it to the world if the world says, Absolutely not. No way. Look with me for a moment at the cause of the hate of the world, okay? Why does the world hate the light? Verse 25 of chapter 15 says this, The word 
that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. There is no reason, there's no good reason why human beings defy God. There's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't obey every single command in God's word. There's no good reason that we could ever have for transgressing any command that God has given us, except the fact that we have no cause to hate him. Now notice what it says here. It says in their law, they hated me without a cause. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. The first world, the first section of the world that the disciples are going to encounter is the Jewish people who have the law of Moses, they have the prophets, they have the Psalms, they have the Proverbs, they have all these words, and yet when the fulfillment comes to those words in Jesus, all that God has been doing in the Old Testament summed up in the person of Jesus as he goes to the cross and he dies for the sins of the world, when the disciples come and they preach that message, those who have those words are going to say, absolutely not, no way, we reject that. It's the word that's written in their law. The very law that they follow says that they're going to reject God. Why? Because they're fallen. Look at what it says in John chapter 16, verse 3. They will do these things. They'll persecute the church. They'll reject the gospel. Why? Because they have not known the Father, nor me. Let me tell you what. I believe that the promises of the Scripture, assurance of salvation, peace for the believer, the assurance of God's righteousness, they are there for those who are pressing into the commands of God and saying, yes, I will obey, I will follow, I will abide, I love you, I, I am horrible and wretched and sinful and I need your righteousness and I want to know you. But the commands of God do not cover the sinfulness of the world. And if we love the things of the world like our own independence and our own defiance of the commands of God and we say, I see no reason why I have to forgive that person. I see no reason why I have to obey. I see no reason why I have to love that person or share the gospel or, or, or give my life to the cause of Christ. We have no right to say that we know God if we say those things. The promises of God are there to comfort those who feel afflicted. And they are also there to afflict those who are too comfortable. We ought never say that we can live in defiance of the commands of God. We are not greater than God, and so from the world we should not expect greater treatment. Chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. We shouldn't expect better treatment. Why does Jesus tell us these things? Why does Jesus lay out this bad news? I mean, at this point, right, folks, this is bad news. This is bad news. The world hates the gospel, and if we believe in Christ, we are not of the world. We're called out of the world. We believe the gospel. We're called to share the gospel with the world. What's their reaction going to be? They're going to hate us. That's bad news. Why does Jesus tell us this? Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. He says, I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. He doesn't want us to be surprised. He doesn't want us to encounter this opposition and to be like, maybe something's wrong with the way we're saying it. Maybe something's wrong with the way we're presenting the message. Maybe, there's, maybe we need to sweeten it up somehow or get rid of sin or, you know, like, like we need to do something to jazz it up so that people will love it. Jesus tells us this to keep us from falling away. He says, know in advance that this will happen. So he tells us this to help us know what's coming. Verse 2, he says, they will put you out of the synagogues. The synagogue for the Jewish male and Jewish female, Jewish kid, all Jewish people. It's a long roundabout way of saying that. 
The synagogue was the center of the social life for the Jewish person of that. And to be put out of the synagogue was like to be exiled, to be sent away from everything that you know. And he says, they will put you out. You will be cut off. I'll tell you this. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ, you will be persecuted. They will mock you in the locker room. They will pick on you around the water cooler. They will make fun of you. They will. It's going to happen because the world hates the truth of the gospel. Years ago, I was uh, in a history class. Please don't think this is a poor me story because it's not. It's whatever at this point. It's years ago. But um, I was taking this history course about the American experience in Vietnam, and the professor knew that I was a Christian. I'd had a couple classes with him, and, uh, and, and we'd, we'd kind of sparred a little bit. I tried to be respectful, and I'll admit, you know, there were times when I was a little too over the top, you know, the obnoxious Christian in the class. And, um, and, but he was, he was the obnoxious professor who didn't believe in God, and so the, we were like we were made for each other. And... Um, and, and I forgot to buy the book for this class. I was one class late. I didn't know what to get. I hadn't gotten the, um, the syllabus. And so he said, uh, I get into class, and he says, we're all going to be doing readings from this book of memoirs of soldiers from Vietnam. Um, and so everybody needs to take part. Everybody needs to do a reading. And, uh, and I was there, and he said, okay, uh, we're going to have a couple people. And he said, does anybody not have their book? And he called me up and he gave me a passage to read from this book that was just full of profanity. And I thought, <laughs> isn't this just like you? And here I am standing up in front of these people. And everybody's got their book open and I'm reading this. And I start skipping the words. Because I know everybody's looking at it. I mean, I know. I read the Bible to you guys here on Sunday. I know that you're looking. And if you're not looking, you should be looking. <laughs> you should be looking. Don't trust on that thing. The power could go out and your Bible won't, you know. The, the monitor will go out. Um, and so I'm skipping the curses and I start to hear the snickering. And it was hard and it was long. It was a long passage. And I was done. He said, uh, you had a hard time reading that, didn't you, Meyer? And I said, yeah. You think you're better than us. And it was the whole room. I mean, the whole room heard it. And, and it was like oh, one of those moments where you just you feel so isolated and alone. And this isn't a poor me story. But it's going to happen. I had a professor who said, if you're going to stand for Christ, sooner or later, you're going to stand alone. Alone. That doesn't mean you're not going to have a family doesn't mean you're not going to have a church, but it means at some place in your life, when it comes down to holding up the truth of the gospel, you're going to be the one who has to do it. Jesus tells us it will happen ahead of time. So that when it happens, we won't fall away. He also tells us to help us know who we're proclaiming to. This is the truth. People hate the gospel, not because they hate you, but because they hate God. And I only say that they hate the gospel because that's what Jesus says. Whoever hates me hates my father also. John 7, 7, he says, the world hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. And we need to understand first, not to be rude and arrogant towards the world. This is not a sermon. You notice I'm not talking about what's going on wrong in the world. Because we were the world before we were called. And if you've not been called, if you're not a Christian, let me tell you, I'm not standing here preaching at you, telling you that you're something that we aren't, that we weren't. God calls us out and transforms us, but then sends us back to the world. People hate the gospel because they hate God, but they need to be saved. Proclaiming the gospel, it should be, yes, soft, winsome, effective, but what we save people with, we save them too. We need to make sure that when we confront people with the truth of the gospel, that we confront them with sin. 
And that we confront them with the fact that they're dead apart from Christ. And that they need his life, the bread of heaven given for the life of the world. The Lamb of God who does what for the world? Takes away their sin. And people are going to say, but I'm not a sinner. And we have to say, yes, you are and I am too. And we need him desperately. We shouldn't be rude and arrogant about it, but we have to be firm. There are many times, and I believe it is happening right now. Maybe even in this town, but it's happening all over the world. People are preaching the gospel without preaching the gospel. And there's no salvation involved because there's no sin. And that's not okay. And any shepherd who does that is not a shepherd. The gospel offends people. It makes people mad. I'll tell you what, there was, a, there was an Easter Sunday. It's probably about six years ago now. I was preaching, and the guy, in the middle of the message, I shook his hand talked to him, greeted him. He said he was looking for a church. And in the middle of the message, he got up and he walked out on me. And I was, I was crushed. You can feel sad for me for just a second. Okay, <laughs> don't feel sad for me anymore because I called my pastor and I said, I said, I can't believe it. A guy walked out on me. He said, that's going to happen. And it's especially going to happen if you tell the truth. So we ought to expect it. It doesn't crush me anymore when people walk out. And I check my heart. Am I being rude? The truth is that people hate God. And if you share with them the words that God has for them, they're going to hate you. God must save them. Why does Jesus tell us this? He tells us so that we will know what's coming. He tells us so that we'll know who we're proclaiming. To, and he also tells us to explain, the word is preserved for us to explain the past in church history and also to explain present rising opposition in our culture. The world will one day, as it already has, applaud the killing of those who follow Jesus and think that it is the service of God. Paul persecuted the church and thought that he was glorifying God by putting the followers of Jesus to death. And then God rebuked him. There's an entire ministry called Voice of the Martyrs that shares and examines the fact that persecution is alive and well in the world today. The truth, I believe, for us is that in our lifetime, most persecution to us will be minor as Americans, but it could get much worse. Right now, it's sneering, rejection. People don't want to talk to you anymore. You don't watch the same TV shows as them because you're a Christian. I don't want anything to do with you. You won't come out to the bar and party with us. You know, done with you. But I do believe the day is coming when churches will be persecuted for hate speech. I think it's possible that laws could be passed barring the preaching of the gospel without a license. It's coming. It's happened before. It happened in Germany in World War II. Expect it. Don't be surprised. Families could be separated. People could be isolated and sent into martyrdom. And we see at the end of the New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation, that martyrdom is coming for many. Who are these people under the altar? That's what the cry is. And the angel says, these are the ones who did not deny Christ, who lost their life for the testimony of Jesus. It happens, and it happens to some of the best and brightest. But listen, that's the bad news. And it's good news, okay? So having heard the bad news, now let's see why it's good news, all right? Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You have been chosen by God. If, if you experience this kind of persecution, and not just because you're being obnoxious, okay? I mean, we've got to be so careful not to be preachy obnoxious. And by preachy, I mean like this. You shouldn't watch that TV show because it's bad, you know. No, don't, don't, don't approach it like that. Approach the gospel from 
the point of view that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Include yourself, okay? Anyway. But if the world hates you, if you experience persecution, know this. It's because God has called your name. He chose you. And that is good news. Here's other good news. The Spirit will be with us to testify. The Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that comes upon the judges in the Old Testament and enables them to win mighty battles, the same Spirit that infected or inhabited Moses and Isaiah as they prophesied, the same Spirit which gave Peter the ability to walk through crowds and heal the people when his shadow fell on them. That same Spirit will be with us to testify. Look at verse 26 of this chapter. It says, But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And look at verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. The Spirit is there to bring the conviction. We saw that last week in our text. You don't have to be the one who's convincing people of their guilt. You just have to share the gospel because the Spirit brings the conviction God is the one who's behind the election. He's the one who saves and who calls and who draws people to himself. You just have to share. The Son is the one who pays the price for their redemption. He's the one who pays the price. We don't have to do that. We're partnering with the living God. That is good news. We get to be ambassadors and share the word. Isn't that? That's good. There's this elusive word in 1 John 4, 17 that says, as he is, so also are we in this world. Do you hear that? 1 John 4, 17. Is it up there? No. 1 John 4, 17. As he is. Who's being described there? Jesus. As Jesus is, so also are we in this world. What does that mean? What's this week's verse? For our sake. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. If you are in Christ and you experience persecution in this world, you need to know this. No matter what happens, you possess the righteousness of God. You are his child. He called your name. You're working with him. You are pure and holy and good. And if you are like him in the world, if you are as he is, then this is true of you as well. 1 John 5, verses 4 through 5. Everyone who has been born of God does what? Overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world. Our faith. No matter what they do to you. No matter what's said about you. No matter how many jokes are told about you. No matter how much persecution you face, you will never be overcome because God is greater. Here's the last little bit of good news about the bad news. The end is closer today than it was yesterday. There is a kingdom in this world and this world has a ruler and the ruler is not the rightful ruler of the world, but there is a change coming. Revelation 11:15 says the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. A change is coming. They may persecute you now, but you will be safe forever. And no one will take away your life. So what do we do with this good news? What do we do with the news, okay? It's bad news, but it's also good news. Because I'll tell you what. There are times when I want to fit in really bad. And I, and I feel like oh, I don't fit in with this crowd anymore. But then I think about the crowd that I ultimately need to fit in with. And it's, it's, it's not right here. It's this one. It's the one who Jesus says can destroy both the soul and the body. The one to whom we have to do. And I think 
If I am in him and I am experiencing the persecution of the world, then I am safe for all eternity. And that is good news. Even though there's bad news. So what do we do with this news? Four ideas as we draw to a close here. One, here's the first, is that we go with Christ outside the gate bearing his reproach. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 10 says this. After defending the entire system of belief in Christ, the writer of Hebrews writing to the Jews, describing all of Old Testament history being fulfilled and summed up in Christ, he says this. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The translation to us today is this. There are things that you in Christ can say about yourself that people in the world cannot rightly say. John 1.12 says that whoever believed in him, to those who called on his name, he gave them the right to be called the children of God. If you believe in Christ, there are benefits and blessings that are yours. That there are people in the world who have, they have no claim to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Okay, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Notice what he's saying here. They take the animal in the Old Testament, they sacrifice it on the altar, and then what do they do with the body after the sacrifice is over? They burn it outside the camp. It is then dishonored, thrown away, and discarded. Verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 10, of Hebrews 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The one who saves the world, who brings the greatest honor to the world, who possesses the greatest honor in the world, and who gives the greatest blessing to the world, suffers the greatest indignity from the world. They hated him. What are they going to do to us when we share the message with them? Verse 13 of Hebrews 13. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Take the suffering. Somebody mocks you, don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. And let me tell you, I say this to you as somebody who very much needs to hear what I'm saying right now. Okay? Doesn't matter. They hated him. And yet, he was blessed by God. We too, who have an altar to eat from that no one else has a right to eat from, how can we not bear these small indignities. They mock me. They abuse me. So what? Go with him outside the gate and bear his reproach. Second, avoid catering to the world. John 17, 14, Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Jesus gave the church gave his people his word, the word of God. And the world hates them because of it, because they have it. There's a pastor by the name of Francis Chan. He wrote a book called Forgotten God. Maybe you've seen it. Or another book called Crazy Love, which is actually not a very crazy book. It's a good book. It's about a, a crazy love for God. Um, I, I would commend it to you. But he said he understands that if he had a church in the same town as Jesus, his church would probably be bigger because Jesus doesn't hold anything back. Yet so often churches want to cater to the world. Why? So that they can be bigger. So that they can have more people. So that they can have more effectiveness or growth. But here's the thing. If in order to grow or to be effective or to, to reach more people, we have to sour the word of God or water it down or dilute it or pollute it? Are we really growing anything? We need to avoid catering to the world. 
We need to make sure that we are reaching people, even if the church is not filled to the brim because people walk away upset. It's the gospel that gives life. It's also the gospel that offends. And so we cannot compromise. We need to avoid catering to the world. We just need to share. And those to whom God is giving life will receive life. Point number three, share the testimony about Christ no matter what the cost. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Can you conceive of that? Okay, you're at the diner, you're sitting there, you're talking with your coworker, your friend, relative. You're sharing the gospel with them. They are lost. They don't know the word. That verse is that God is appealing to them through you. That is a high responsibility. We need to make sure that we share, even though the time might not be right. Even though they, they may not really be that far along. Well, I just, you know, I didn't say anything because I didn't think it was the right time. Really? You're an ambassador, right? You're an ambassador for him. The two countries, the world and the kingdom of God, are at an impasse. Destruction is coming, and we know which side will win. And this is not a, our side will win, it's, they have no idea what's coming. We ought to feel a sense of gravity and grief over the unbelief of the world. And know that destruction's coming. The ambassador from a great nation to a nation which will be destroyed is not being loving if he says, I just didn't think it was the right time. I just didn't think they were ready to receive it. He's got to share. He has a responsibility to those people. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And then Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Evangelism can be appealing to someone and saying, will you be right with God? It doesn't have to be like this. Finally, fourth point, and this is for you if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't really know what this is all about. I hear some good news, I hear some bad news, not really sure what to make of it. Let me urge you to receive Christ if you have not ever done that. Put your trust in the Son of God. I lost my watch. Sermon's never going to end. Put your trust in the love of God. Perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible and the loneliest verse in the Bible, I think, share these great truths. This is John 3.16, the most famous verse. God so loved the world, which is not God loved the world so much, right? Like, how big is Sam? Sam's so big, you know, when you're a baby, you do this. You know, how big? So big. God loved the world so much. It's not that. God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son to be punished, to take the sin of the whole world. And that's your sin and my sin, every sin ever committed in the past, every sin ever being committed in the present, every sin ever committed in the, that will ever be committed in the future. They are all laid on Christ and God crushes him. For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then here's the lonely verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. It's not God's desire to crush people, to torment people, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, here this morning and you're saying, I've got sin on my account. I've done things that I cannot atone for. I've neglected God. I've got sinful desires within me, things I can't control. God doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to give you life if you'll receive it. Let's pray in closing. Let me urge you, if you want to talk to somebody about this, 
There'll be some folks up front that you can pray with. You can always talk to me. You can call me. My number's in the bulletin. Yes, I do return your phone calls. Email me. Let's, let's talk. This is too important just to forget about before lunch. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news about the bad news. Lord, we don't, we, we don't want to acknowledge this news that the world will hate us and say whatever to it because it's not something that we can just be indifferent to. It's real. It's true. We can expect persecution. And you use the word persecution because it hurts. And we acknowledge that there's going to be hurt, Lord, but Lord, we thank you for what it signifies. We thank you for the honor of knowing you. We thank you for the assurance and the proof that persecution is to us that your life is within us. And we pray, Father, that we would live in the good of these truths. That we would see the truth that, that, that we are the righteousness of God. That we are your ambassadors. That we are working with the Spirit, Lord. And we pray that we would live in these truths truths and that they would sustain us and help us to thrive when we don't understand why that couple never came back when we don't understand when we share the gospel and that person doesn't want to have anything to do with us when we don't understand why that person on the television is mocking you We should understand it because we see it in your word. The world hates you without a cause. Lord, we thank you that you have called a people out of the world. Lord, that you're calling us out. We thank you for the gift of life that you've given to us. We thank you for forgiving our sins. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, who desires to know you, who desires to have peace with you, desires to have your righteousness. Father, I pray that they would repent of their sin, that they would hate it, that they would leave it behind, forsake it, and that they would ask you to apply the death of Christ to their sin, to take it away. Father, we thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray for each of us as we go from this place that we will share bearing your approach, confident and assured that we are your ambassadors. Lord, we confess that the sufferings of this present age, they're not able to be compared with the glories that are to come. We thank you for the gift of your son to us we thank you for the promise of future grace. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.